before Neil, who's here to speak, before Neil comes up to speak, we're going to hear that story again. And it's another slightly different take on the story. The son, the one, the prodigal kind. Ain't nothing but frivolity and fun on his mind. Inheritance, in a sense, sitting, gathering dust, grieving a tradition, stipulating he must wait for the date the old man would croak, but his wait for the estates got him coming up broke. So discontent, he'd circumvent the rules he'd come to resent, demanding a percent, asking Pop to relent, and off he went, content on a sinful descent, prodigal, defined as recklessly extravagant. So there he is, drinking, chilling, at a house of ill repute, already took a shot at every prostitute. His selfish pursuit, it ain't bearing no fruit. He's running out of loot, life dropping like a rock down the laundry chute. Fear and bereavement filling his chest, depressed. There's no rest for the weary. But as he lie there at the bottom, he was struck with the theory, you know, my pop's workers do better than I'm doing here. His next move was regrettably clear. He came walking down the path, back to town, slow, head hung low, full of shame, for he disgraced the family name, expecting Pop to cast righteous blame. But he didn't. There the old man stood, as he had been every day since his precious kid left, praying silently with a heart bereft and at the vision of his son he breaks into a run screaming to his servants prepare a feast get the fatted calf and straight up slaughter that beast and the boys I'm sorry they fell on deaf ears as pops kisses pierce their way through cascading tears robes drape the boy's shoulders on his finger a ring sandals on his feet the treatment of a king no judgment no punishment, no admonishment, no rage, no feelings from the past the boy's visage could not assuage. His father thought him dead, but look, he lives. The warmth to his heart this gives. His boy's voice a joyful sound. He was lost, but now he's found. Prodigal, a word used in the negative when understood loosely, can also mean the act of giving profusely. What was done for the prodigal son has been done for everyone by another son, the only one that really counts, the one unjustly hung on Calvary's mount. It's really a trip. It may in fact seem odd that our prodigal story was written by our prodigal God. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, great to be here and see baptisms at Hazelmere. It's absolutely terrific. I'm uh, delighted. I'm thrilled for you all. It's, um, it's really wonderful. It was, and it was, uh, it was good to be up here in time to, to see the baptisms. So congratulations, Hazelmere. And, uh, and those being baptized, Simon and Liz, wonderful. Praise God.
Well, we're going to carry on with our Coming Home series. And uh, as you heard through the spoken word video earlier on, and so we're going to dive in at this point. Jim and Laurie were on a luxury cruise to the Bahamas. Uh, He won the cruise for being the top producer of his company. I've chatted to the trustees and asked them, does this work for us here? And it's fallen on deaf ears. But, um, uh, so on the last day of the cruise, they're coming back into Florida, and it's, um, it's around about waking up time. And they just, they just docked, bam, bam, on the door, on the cabin door. And, and Laurie is closest to the cabin door, and, and she just, what's that? Opens it just a bit, and they're in. There's six drug enforcement agents through the door. Bulletproof vests, semi-automatics, all trained on Jim, who was sitting on the edge of his bed, just in his underwear. I mean, it's... uh, And all sorts of things are spinning around in his head, and they said, don't you move. We have... You are under arrest. We have six warrants for your arrest in six states in the USA. And his head is spinning, and he says... um, He's thinking to himself... I, I know they've got the wrong guy. I know they've got the wrong guy. And, and he's trying to work out how he's going to explain it. And then into the corridor, just outside his room, come uh, those people who also work in his company. And they're standing outside. And his boss happens to be in the ro- just outside the room as he is being put under arrest for dealing in cocaine. And um, <clears throat> this is... <laughs> This is probably the worst moment of his life. You can imagine that. And uh, Jim discovered later that he was the victim of identity theft. Somebody had acquired his credit card accounts, his social security number, and he was done. Absolutely done. And they, they, it, it just took him hours, absolutely hours, to convince the agents they got the wrong guy. It took him weeks to explain to his boss and co-workers in order that they could fully understand what had really happened. It took him weeks. And it took him thousands and thousands of dollars to clear his name. And uh, that doesn't always happen either. So uh, identity theft is not unusual. In fact, it's uh, more prolific than it ever used to be. Um, but just, just for a moment, I wonder what happens if you're Identity is not stolen. And your identity, you just lose it on your own. I wonder what happens then. Because really that's what happened to the lost son. He loses his identity. He forgets who he is. And his life all falls apart. And that's his story. If you remember, it all started with longings. And we're going to recap. You may just come in here today. and Let me just recap where we've been. People have genuine longings. They're universal longings. They're longings for love. They're longings for purpose. They're longings for meaning. These longings, depending how we go about them, can either move us towards God or they can move us away from God. Tim Keller, who's an author and a church leader in New York, he writes this about a single lady called Anna. He was desperate to have children, absolutely desperate. Eventually, 
she got married, and contrary to medical opinion, she was able to have two healthy children. Dream fulfilled. This was her ultimate fulfillment. This is what I'm all about. The problem was it wasn't. Her overpowering drive to give her children a perfect life made it absolutely impossible to enjoy them. She couldn't. Her overprotectiveness, fears, anxieties, uh, control over every detail of her children's life ended up making the family feel utterly miserable. One child did poorly at school and showed signs of serious emotional problems. And the younger was filled with anger. Her desperate longing for the children actually ruined them and in the same breath ruined her too. This story, it may not be like that. It's repeated again and again in people's lives. You know, if it's, what about, what about, if it's my career, and I am going for my career, or if it's about relationships, it's that one person. If your ultimate longing is about that, I tell you, you're on vulnerable ground. It's just too flimsy. Why? Because your value and your worth and your, your weight of a person, it's just too much for anybody else or anything else to hold. People were never designed to do that for you. See, all our longings outside of God fall short. All of them. If you do that to other people, I tell you, you will be severely disappointed. If my worth is trapped up in being loved by that one, or having a good career, or the perfect family, I tell you, you're going to massively miss the mark. As I just said, all our longings outside of God fall short. So we notice that this young son comes back because he's hit the place of regret and has finally decided to do something about it. He comes to his senses. It's a place of regret. Bronnie Ware... She worked a number of years in palliative care. She wrote an article on the five regrets of the dying. She saw people in their last 12 weeks of life. Some didn't make the 12 weeks. Some were just a few days. But she, she worked for this for many years. Here's one of the regrets. I worked too much. And I never made time for my family. This was the most common regret amongst men. They had missed their child's youth or children's youth. They'd missed their partner's companionship. They'd missed family life. Men get so much kudos out of work that at the end of the day, and here's these men at the end of the day, at the end of their life, and the, and the thing they're saying is, why did I put all that time into that? Why did I do it? Some wish they could have another go. What a thing to do to reach the end of your life and realize I completely missed it. I have wasted my life. What an awful place to be. Some regrets, you know, <laughs> we all have them. We, we wish we could, that moment I wish I could just press the delete button and it never happened. Because the, the repercussions of that were this, 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 this. Sometimes it's a word 
that is spoken and it should never have been spoken and the relationship will not go back to where it was. We all have regrets. Decisions we've made, things we've said, things we have not done. We all have regrets. This son is coming home and this is what it's about. And I wonder how many times he thought, I'd like to go home. I wonder how many times he did that. I think it was many. I've done this. I know this, I know this man. I, that, I wear his clothes. I've done this sort of thing. And there were many times I wanted to come back. I wanted, but I wanted to come back on my own terms. I wanted to make a success. I wanted, I wanted, to, I wanted to show everybody, you know, it's all right. I, I could do it. And outwardly, you would have thought I was okay. But inwardly, just as empty as they come. Absolutely empty. And, and nothing could fill this hole. I mean, I don't know where all of you are. I don't. And that might be you. Nothing fills that hole. And then he comes to his senses. And he makes the journey home. To the father he humiliated and the family and friends he utterly despised. And he does, all he does is goes, he asks for help. He just simply comes for help. The cure of all our yearnings, all our longings, is not to yearn for the wrong things, but to yearn for the right things. This man comes home. And home, my friends, for us, I want to tell you, it's Jesus. There is no other place to come. And in all these baptisms and their stories I tell you Jesus' name he just keeps popping up keeps popping up keeps popping up ask him for help and he comes so today we've heard the lost son has come home but uh, this is only part of the story this journey still has a long way to go and it's true it's a new life he has a new life and it, uh, I, but it doesn't mean that everything is magically fixed Life is not like that. There's too many flawed people to make that happen, I can assure you. And even after coming home, we can forget our own identity too, having come home. That's why what happens now is so important. And let's refresh this story here. In Luke 15, the son says to his father, he says, Father, I, and he's, he's thought about these words. So he's, this is his speech. Father, I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. This is a key moment, my friend. It really is. He's received the kindness of his father. He's received embrace and kisses and hugs from his father. And yet his opinion of himself is still back there with the pigs and in the gutter. That's his opinion of himself. I am not worthy to be called your son. You know, sometimes the shame of the past looms over us like this dark, foreboding shadow. Shame wants us to stay back there. Shame whispers to us, you know what? You must be kidding. You? And what you did? And what you... And that thing, that particular thing, you? You. You're in a pipe dream. Shame makes us sit in a prison cell 
even though the door is open. Shame keeps us from embracing our true identity. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's come home and he's saying this in spite of everything the Father has lavished on him. Shame invites us to earn our way back. Please. And this was part of his speech, but his father interrupts him. But the rest of the speech was, make me like one of your hired hands. That was the rest of the speech. In other words, I'll earn my forgiveness. I'll earn my way back. <laughs> I've, I've, I told you I've been here. I've done this. You're going to be, if this is you, and that is the place that you're at, you're going to be doing this for the rest of your life, and you'll never do it. Don't do it. Don't go down that. It's, this is all grace. This is all the kindness of God. This is all the kindness of God. That's what Jesus is showing in the story. It's all mercy. It's all grace. Father takes the initiative. The father, listen, the father wants his son back. He doesn't want a servant or a hired hand. He doesn't want that. He wants his son. He's been waiting all this time for his son. This is his moment. And he quickly comes in before the son finishes his speaking. He goes, quick, get the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And you know what? In our culture, we completely miss it. We think he's just making him feel homely. It's, it, it's not. It, there's far more to it than that. Robes, rings, sandals, best robe. Best robe is father's robe. It's not a spare one. Or one that I've just had cleaned. Or one that we, you know, we, nobody's using anymore. It's his father's robe. He's put him in his father's robe. It's the unmistakable sign of being restored to the family. You belong. You belong. He doesn't have to prove himself. He doesn't have to earn his status. He's come home. And then, and then there's the ring. This is a really interesting one. The ring is a symbol of the father's power and authority. It's like giving his son the credit card. Why would he give him the credit card? I mean, his history is not great here with money, is it? And every time the son is looking on his hand, he sees this ring. And he is thinking, I'll never starve again. I'll always have a meal on the table. I'll never, I'll never be without a place to stay. I, I'll always be secure. That's, he's, his, father's, his father is lavishing his love upon his son. And then the sandals. Only family wore sandals. In the ancient Jewish home, only family wore sandals. Everybody else, slave servants, they all went barefoot. You're having sandals. So he looks at the robe and the ring and the sandals and you got the message. His father is making the message. You get your identity, son. You belong to me. You get your identity. You belong to me. He's waited long enough for this. He's not going to miss it. These gifts are not just for the sake of giving gifts. This is to reinforce that he deeply loves his that, that, that he is deeply loved by his father. And that is his true identity. So the father is ensuring 
that no one is going to take his identity from him. Um, I look at my, you know, this got me lots of thinking here. Uh, I've, I've done the shadow, I've lived under the shadow of regrets. I, sometimes this happens to us every week. I, I remember an instant this week of 40 years ago. 40 years ago. And I cringe at that moment. And then I realize, actually, what a grace that God has given me that even that, do you know what? It's forgiven. What a grace. What a grace. It's, it's, it's wonderful. And the accusations, and you will have them whispering over your life, accusations of shame. And there are times I don't feel worthy of the love of God. And there are times I don't do that. I feel, I feel unworthy. And perhaps, I don't know, perhaps you are there at this moment too. You don't have to be there. That's the point. You don't have to be there. At this place of coming home, he realizes that the Father deeply loves him. Brennan Manning says this. He's an author. He says, Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. God's love for you and his choice of you constitute your worth. Let it become the most important thing in your life. I really hope you get it. Boy, do we have a profligate God who gave his son that on on the cross his son's forsaken. But you are not. He was forsaken that you wouldn't be forsaken, but that you would be embraced. Let's hear Elena's story at this point, shall we? I grew up in Staffordshire. Um, there was my brother and I, John, and um, mum and dad. Life wasn't particularly good at home. Um, my mum was actually um, mentally ill and, and quite incapable of, of actually looking after children um, or the home or cooking or cleaning or anything like that. It was, it was quite sad and quite lonely and um, my dad was was very strict to the point of um, abusive. So I went through life kind of not knowing who I was, any identity. I can't remember being told that I was loved or hugged or kissed or anything ever um, by my parents. So that was my life up until the age of 15 where my brother John suddenly um, died in a car accident. And that was the point where I, I thought to myself, you know, what is this life about? Why am I here? Um, It's just too awful, really. And I was broken completely, and so were my parents. Um, But there was no support structure at all. So um, I I left home at my earliest opportunity, which was when I was 18. And I had a a deep longing for for acceptance, identity, um, love, which I'd, I'd never really experienced, but obviously longed for. So... I guess I, well, I, I looked for that in, in relationships with, with guys and, and the wrong relationships. Um, had no role model 
Things went from bad to worse because I got myself into um, two physically violent relationships, emotionally and, and physically violent, um, which were just awful and just, just left me from being broken to destroyed, I guess. I, I went for many years going through one relationship to the next, um, being really, really torn apart. At this point, um, I, I was going to the, um, to the school, um, taking my son to the school, and the, there was a, a lady there. And um, she actually approached me one day and, and um, said that it was amazing what happened because she actually said that she'd had a dream and um, that, that my face appeared in this dream and that I was... I should be brought along to church, um, which I found fan fantastic and um, that somebody could actually care, to be honest. And, and, and so she invited me to church and, uh, and I came. And it was fantastic and um, it was a place where I did actually feel joy and felt like people do actually care here. And, there is a lo and I did feel um, God's love tremendously. It's, it's, it's a shame because at that point I wasn't actually in a place where I carried it on. Um, there was still lots of going on in my life. I was still in, a, in an awful relationship. Um, still very, very broken and, and I, didn't, I didn't follow that journey as I should have done. Um, and I, I actually went back and did, did the same things that I was doing previously. It was this pattern that I fell into um, and I carried it on um, and it got even worse to be honest it's it, things went from unimaginably worse to to even just the impossible um, in terms of abuse so this went on for quite a number of years and this is at the point where I just sat down and said to myself this cannot go on any more. Um, I will not repeat the same patterns. Um, I, I want to know who this God is and I have to turn my life around now. At this defining moment, I actually, I was in my bedroom and I fell to my knees and I just opened my arms and I said, Jesus, I just want you in my life and I submit my whole life to you and I said not just a bit of me Lord just take all of me and um, that was it really I just it was like a thunderbolt of lightning like I actually felt like I was I'd come home at that point even though I was in in the house with no one around me I felt like God had met me where I was um, and that my life was now going to be better than ever even if it didn't change I had God in my life going through um, anything and everything with me so one of the best parts now is that that longing that I had that I looked for in the wrong relationships before I don't have that anymore I have a longing but it's to know Jesus more and read his word more and uh, and not look for that in relationships as I, I just don't have that need um, so, so now I just look to Jesus for everything and he fulfills it. For someone who didn't really know, um, have any idea what home actually was, well, it was actually quite a dark and cold place to be. Um, 
now I've actually found home and everything that home should be, um, it's just an amazing place to be. Uh, these are great stories that we're hearing from people and they're really opening their lives up like this. And we very much appreciate that. She moves from longing to regret, from longing to regret, and finally breaks the cycle. And it's at that place where she experiences the love of God. Define yourselves, my friends, as radically loved by God. Define yourself this way. Say goodbye to shame. Receive welcome home.